0: Can you make money doing something you love? Because out there, there seems to be this belief that making money and enjoyment don't go hand to hand. If you want to make money, you have to do something hard. You have to push. You have to do something you don't like. And if you trade off to a cause, to a mission, to something you're enjoying, well, then you need to go and work for a charity or you'll earn not a lot of money or you'll be a starving artist. And there's a real dichotomy in the world between making money and it being hard and doing something you love. And this episode is all about making money doing something you love. In episode five, we had Kelly and Sean McHugh talking about building businesses around what you love. And this is the startup story of Matt Estley and his YouTube channel about woodworking. Strap in, let's talk about building businesses and making money from your passion. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur show, the show that is all about doing things differently to get different results. And I've been looking forward to this episode a lot ever since I dreamt of the podcast. I wanted to get today's guest on because I've watched him as he has built his YouTube channel around woodworking and created an incredible business doing something he loves. And he's come two pop-ups, to deliver talks, to support the people. And I'm incredibly inspired by what you have done. So welcome to the show, Matt Esley. Thank you for having me, Alan. Um, Absolute pleasure. (laughs) So Matt, I'm assuming no one in the audience particularly knows you yet, although you never know, because in our pop-up events, we seem to get someone who's into woodworking just about every time we run one. So let's start with Where are you now? What You run your own
1: business. What is it? What does it do? Okay, so my business is primarily based around teaching woodworking on YouTube. That's the sort of sole main thing that I work on. But then I sort of gain income from other places, such as recommending tools, a little bit of affiliate and other things like that. But the main meat of the business is teaching woodwork online. And I also do a little bit of teaching in person on the side. But that's what's going on at the moment. I love that. So you teach people woodworking. What do they make? What do you so, make? So at the moment, we, well, on the online courses, we're making boxes. Um, well, we made a box previously and we're now working on a cabinet it's uh, part of a free online woodworking school that I've started to create. Uh, and then in person, when I'm teaching the classes at the school, we're making things like tables and stuff like that. And it's a whole mixture of projects. And it's quite fun because like when you're teaching in the class or when you're teaching in the workshop, should I say? You kind of just hear your voice echo off the four walls day in, day out on your own. (laughs) Whereas like when you're teaching in person, you've actually got someone to respond with you. A bit of dialogue going on. So it's a nice mix to keep my sanity in check.
0: Yes. Yes. You need that bounce of an audience. I definitely need that bounce of an audience. I remember the first time I launched a radio show, it was just me and a microphone And I'm staring into the abyss with no bounce. And it actually took me some time to realize that I needed three or four or five people on the show with me to create the bounce and the energy for it to happen. But if you're just there putting energy into the abyss
1: it can be quite tough sometimes absolutely and i'm so grateful now because i've got one of my best friends working for me as a cameraman um so he comes in sort of once or twice a week and helps me film videos so it's good we've got some sort of good banter between us as well and it's a great help in like in terms of mentally and also getting the job done. I love that. So we will
0: come back to that and working with friends and building a business with friends. We're definitely going to come back to that just so we can set the scene. Can you give us some numbers about your business in terms of like how many subscribers you've got, how many views you've got? Where are you
1: currently with the YouTube channel teaching woodworking? sure so i think i've posted around about 150 to 200 videos by now can't remember exactly over how many years that's over about two and a half years properly uh then there was about half a year prior to that where i was doing videos off and on so two and a half years two years something like that uh in terms of numbers we have about hundred and fifty thousand subscribers at the moment Uh, and then watch time is again i don't know the specific numbers but it's in the millions somewhere (laughs) that's (laughs) incredible a lot of people have wasted a lot of time watching
0: my videos (laughs) (laughs) they wouldn't watch it if they weren't getting something out of it matt (laughs) <laughs> i hope so so you've built this incredible youtube channel uh you started two and a half three years ago but how did you choose woodworking because this is not the normal choice and um, did your parents tell you get a proper job did you did school tell you to get a proper job
1: like how did this happen so woodworking, the actual hobby of woodworking came about, I've always been crafty as a kid. I always, we had this after school club and I always um, sort of would prefer to go to the craft table rather than the sports hall and play stuff like football. So it's always kind of been in my blood making stuff. But then the actual hobby of woodworking came from a teacher who came into secondary school and he was a substitute teacher and he made bespoke boxes. And he bought in this box one day that I think was worth... I don't know, around 5,000 pounds. And a it was, box that was worth 5,000 pounds. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I think the know, word I,
0: box is underplaying it.
1: Well, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I had seen stuff like this before, you know, through windows and things, but it never actually clicked that someone had actually made that with their hands. It just sort of like it grew like a tree wood. That's kind of how I envisioned it. So, as soon as he bought it in and he kind of broke down the construction, how he made it and the thoughts and the design, it was just kind of like it just instantly resonated with everything that I've been doing as a kid with regards to the crafting stuff and just thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is the route I want to go down.
0: Wow. So you had that moment in that class when you saw it going, this is, this is what I want to do. Yeah, I remember the specific moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then from that that was it was there any ever any doubt or was that it like this is just it
1: that was it that was very late in the year uh, in my final year of secondary school very late and prior to that i'd signed up to do i think things like astronomy and history and things like that at the sort of college that all my friends were going to and i dropped all that i didn't even tell them that i wasn't coming i just signed up to this furniture making school in oxford instead and went uh, (laughs) there So, you joined furniture making school and just started to build furniture? Yep, that's it. Yeah, started off at the absolute basics, hand tool work, introduced a bit of machinery, and yeah, just carried on with that for five years essentially. Wow. So, you were, that's five years since
0: you joined the school to now with the YouTube channel?
1: Uh, It's actually been seven, maybe eight years uh, since I started learning woodworking. Uh, I was at the school for five years, and then we're now three or uh, yeah, three years after that. So you were at the school learning woodworking.
0: Um, what was that like? Did there was there was it a positive school where they spoke about good quality jobs afterwards? Was it nerve wracking? Because I'm I'm thinking that th- there's not actually that many people employed in woodworking, is there?
1: No, it's. Uh kind of when i started off it took a massive dip in the industry or so it seemed like when i went in the thing that i heard over and over again was it's going to be very difficult to get a job in this industry or it'll be very difficult to get a rewarding job in this industry should Mm. i say like you'll get one pushing wood through a machine and stuff like that but in terms of actually using your craft skills fully it's going to be very difficult to do that when it comes to designing All the way through the design process to the whole making process normally it's split up into one person does this one person does this one person does this so you very rarely see the whole process and what they were saying is those people that do oversee the whole process it's difficult for you to get a job in that sort of thing and that's what i wanted to do so that kind of took a dip at the very start of me starting the course and then at the moment i think From my own perception of it, as the world is kind of going more and more techie, more and more people are kind of wanting to negate that and actually get back into craft skills, you know, Mm. woodworking, leatherworking, whatever. People are just wanting to get more stuck in with things rather than just look at a screen all day. And I've taught evening classes for a while as well. And every single person there was an office worker.
0: So they want to come from sitting all day at a laptop and then doing something with their hands in the evenings and the weekends.
1: Yeah, we, we had one class where they were doing mortise and tenons. It was basically three solid sessions of whacking chisels with mallets. And it was absolute chaos in there. Absolute chaos. <laughs> but they were just loving it. I think they were just taking out all their frustration on these poor chisels. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful, but so much fun at the same time. So
0: you've done school. You're learning about woodworking. You're learning about construction uh, and making these things How do you go from that to a YouTube channel? Like, how
1: do you make this jump? Sure. So it's a bit of a long one. I started the YouTube channel in the fourth year of the furniture making school. And sort of prior to this, I was in a long term relationship. And that relationship broke down when I was in my fourth year. And that had, you know, that had a negative effect on itself. But it also uncovered a lot of other problems that I was kind of just sort of pushing down throughout those few years like I was putting more effort into the relationship than I was with friendships and as a result when the relationship went it was kind of weird to hang out with friends I still had friends but it was like weird if you went for a beer with them or something like that Mm. I wasn't normally seen at the pub that kind of thing and so this kind of like tension just kept spiraling over the next few months and also pair that with the fact that I thought I was in this five-year furniture making course without the potential of getting a job at the end of it. Cause it was in this dip. It was like, what is my future right now? And it just spiraled, kept going to this sort of point where I was like, right, like I need to do something here. And the choices were it was either like join the army, sod off to Australia, or literally just flick the off button. And you know, I don't like, Thinking back to that moment, but it was kind of like it was just three things. It's like I just want to disappear, kind of thing, because I'm hating this at the moment. Fortunately, the fourth option came along, where it was like, you know, why not just start something that I've always wanted to do? Yeah, I've got nothing to lose at this point. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I just want to do it. And so, throughout my childhood, obviously, I said I've always been crafty. The other things I also did was I was also quite entrepreneurial in a way like as a kid i would go to the wholesaler with my dad because he owned a food store and i would buy sort of these trays of things called brain liquors buy them for 55p (laughs) Mm -hmm. p. buy them for 55p and then resell them at school for a quid and i made quite a good living off it got stock stolen off me every now and then you know i went through the whole (laughs) ups and downs of it all so I sort of had this background with that. And also I made YouTube videos with my friends while growing up as well. Yeah. and just sort of, we made jackass style videos and things like that. So kind of this moment where it all came together, when I realized what I wanted to do was in this absolute low point, it was like, right, I want to do woodwork. I want to get my entrepreneurial skills or background and pair that into it. And I want to get the video stuff that I've done throughout my childhood and pair it into one. And it just kind of like everything that I've been doing up until this point, just, made sense. And I'm still riding that wave today, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it sprung from an absolute low moment to sort of just figuring everything that I've always been doing my whole life into this ball of motivation. I love that story. And
0: I think the thing I'd love people to take out there is that out of the low moments can sometimes be born the most incredible motivation, energy, ideas it's just tough when you're in that place to put those bits together. And I think what you did really well was you were able to see the things that you loved, woodworking, video, the energy of what you wanted to do. You were able to see those things, put them together and to start immediately. How did you give yourself permission to start? Did you just make a video? Did you build a channel? Like. How did you give yourself permission? Did you write a business plan? Did you take a loan?
1: <laughs> no. So I was fortunate enough the Christmas before to get given a DSLR because uh, I, I think I was going through that stage that every teenager goes through, where I want to get into photography. So I got given this sort of cheap DSLR and literally I didn't even think about it. The next day I bought that DSLR into college. And just started filming. I remember I got there really early to start with before anyone else came in, just sort of hoping that no one would spot me kind of setting it up and things. (laughs) And I decided to do this tour of the workshops that I was studying at. And as I was walking through, this was like two hours before anyone was supposed to be there. I was walking through and i walked into the main workshop and i was like this is the main workshop filming the camera and i pan round, and my tutors just stood there staring at me like <laughs> what are you doing you <laughs> nut job <laughs> so that kind of was just like instant well there's no hiding this now and literally from there it was just like right well i need to go in. just plonk this camera down and get going with things and that was scary because it was a workshop full of around about 50 people and uh, i am well, I was quite introverted. And so all of a sudden having 50 pairs of eyes on you is just, it was very uncomfortable for me. I bet it was.
0: So like, this is there's a real dichotomy in what you've just told me because we've got the, the self-proclaimed introvert that now has a YouTube channel with 150,000 subscribers and millions and millions of views. How do, how do you balance that
1: in your head? Are you really an introvert? Uh, Yeah, I would say I am because I think introvert isn't necessarily about being shy. It's more about gaining energy from being around people. If you're extroverted, you gain energy from being around lots of people. If you're introverted, you gain energy from being by yourself. So actually woodworking is quite a good hobby for people like this because you work on your own most of the time. And with YouTube, you're actually, as much as it doesn't seem like it, when you're filming, you are in control of the situation. If you don't like things you cut it out, you can edit things, it doesn't really matter if you screw up. And I think that was what kind of made it appealing to me. It, it seemed like this big obstacle to start with. But as soon as I started, it was like, actually, this is very natural for me. This is okay. I love that. So the big obstacle, the fear
0: of being on the camera or doing that, what do you think got you over that? Like, Why did you just start?
1: I really don't know why I just started. It was just I kind of had to, I suppose. It, it was literally because I was in such a bad place. It was either I start or I go back to what I was before. It was just this sort of wide junction in the roads where it's like I can either do this or I can do this. And I kind of look back on it as either be constructive or be destructive. So obviously I was going to choose the constructive route. And so that is kind of... That is the only reason I got started. It's just that I literally needed to. I had to, or else I don't know what was going to happen. And it, it, it was really weird to start with because, you know, like I said, 50 pairs of eyes watching you in the workshop was pretty scary. But what I found was after two weeks, it's pretty normal by that point. You're just sort of seen as the guy in the workshop with the camera who gets in everyone's way. Cool. Like no one's really looking at you anymore. It's just everyone's senses are just kind of used to it. So... It wasn't long to get over that initial hurdle. And once I did, it's just been plain sailing from there. Well, not plain sailing. It's been easier.
0: (laughs) That was the biggest barrier. And quite often the biggest barriers to start up are in our heads. But when we actually start, they're not half the size that we actually imagine they are. And I definitely had a version of that with doing this podcast and launching it was that it felt like a much bigger task in my head. Until I actually got in and recorded the first few episodes. Then all of a sudden, I'm
1: talking to cool people, I'm doing it, and this is fun. This is good. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if I looked back at what I built now two years ago, or if I envisioned what I have now two years ago or three years ago when I started, I would not have started whatsoever. (laughs) But what I filmed was so raw at the start. The editing was awful, the presenting was rubbish. It was absolutely awful. But you just slowly build these things up over time to where it is now. Well, I think this is what stops a lot
0: of people doing it. And I I put stuff out there to the best of my ability at the time, but I know it's not perfect. Well, actually, it'll never be perfect. So how can it be? And I just stick it out there. I think I've worked with so many people that get hung up on This is not perfect. I need to get it perfect before I release it. And I was actually coaching someone with a YouTube channel uh, last year. And we got to a sticking point where I was forcing or pressing for the videos to go out. Mm -hmm. And they had a negative reaction and said, look, I just can't do it. I can't put it out like that. My opinion is you can only get to version two if you do version one. Version one will never be right, but the only way to get to version two is to do version one. The only way to get to version five is to do version one, two, three, four. And by the time you're on version five, you're looking back going,
1: should I delete that so no one can ever see it again? Do you know, I agree with that so much. And actually, I'm actually at a weird stage now where I think I'm probably on the equivalent of, let's say, version three, given the amount of workshops I've had. Version one was so raw and just rubbish. Version two was. I'm starting to get the hang of it. This is cool. Still messing up on camera every now and then, but the presenting's coming a little better to the point now where it's version three, where we've got really good equipment and stuff. And I've got my friends working for me uh, doing the video stuff. And we've got into a really good flow of things. But actually, now that we've got to this point, it almost feels like it's too perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So Seriously, to the point that, that now we're in quarantine, I've moved half my workshop back home and I've set up a workshop in my back garden and i am absolutely loving it at the moment not having all this camera equipment machines everything around me it's just back to basics from what i did two years ago and it's so fun actually going back to that kind of imperfect feel with things because it's like a orderly chaos kind of thing and it i think you put more for me at least i put more of my personality into things rather than try and take myself too seriously or do things too perfectly human beings have flaws and i think Documenting that in the YouTube videos that I'm filming now will be so relatable to a lot of people.
0: I think you're absolutely right because we all have flaws, we all mess up, we all cause mistakes. and I always come back to you, so I used to teach presenting all the time, so how to present, how to communicate, uh, how to create presentations. And one of my favorite examples they they did a study of how relatable certain presenters were to an audience, and they had three groups of presenters. The first group made a huge amount of mistakes. They ummed, they aahed, they messed up their words. Like They made a huge amount of mistakes. The second group made a few mistakes. You know, the odd one, it didn't really matter. It was okay. They weren't perfect, but they made a few mistakes. And the final group were word perfect presenters. Everything came out. They were absolutely on point word perfect which group do you think the audience most related to
1: i'd say group two probably or one
0: it was actually group two group one was a little bit annoying like you can't be that bad (laughs) (laughs) you've got to at least be a good otherwise you'll annoy people with the amount of ums and ahs and all sorts of verbal tics and flaws group three was unrelatable because they were too perfect and the most relatable, the ones they most like to listen to, did make the odd mistake. They, they had things that came out wrong, but that made them human and relatable. And every course I run, I talk about this. You don't want to be perfect because that doesn't exist. And actually, it'll turn people off.
1: Yeah, and I think to get to that stage where you're actually feeling somewhat comfortable, but you're not too perfect, that middle ground, I think, is actually quite quick to achieve for me in the video things it took me maybe four or five videos maybe to get over that initial terrible editing video presenting style to get into this kind of massive window where I was in that phase two of I kind of know what I'm doing but at the same time I really don't and that was where the sort of the biggest growth of my channel was and we just touched into that phase three where it was like really professional stuff properly presented and I do think it kind of in my case it alienated my audience a little bit and also myself i didn't feel too comfortable doing it and as a result that's why we've dropped back to that kind of raw ish style i think it's about being
0: comfortable in your own skin and if you are comfortable with who you are the way you present yourself that will relate to the people you're talking to from my experience the only way to achieve that is by getting out there and doing it and the more you do it the more you get comfortable doing it the more you realize people enjoy it and hang out with you and i think that comfort level and i'm confident in my own skin i'm comfortable with myself and i just put myself out there and you like me if you like me and you don't if you don't and i'm cool either way i think you have to do a certain amount to get to that absolutely yeah Let's have a look. So you've done a couple of videos. You've started doing this stuff from day one. Did you see this as your solution to a business, to an income? Or was this just just something like I need something to do? What was it? Did you pin your hopes on this is going to be the way I make money forever?
1: Other people were doing it at the time I started off. And I'm actually friends with some of the people who I used to watch back then which is quite cool. So I knew it was 100% possible. And I, I think I did start it off with the intentions of making it a career at some point, because, you know, I didn't want to be a woodworker who just goes into work and does it as a job each day. I actually wanted to enjoy it as a hobby. And the only way that I could actually do that was try and keep the um, the enjoyment in the making side alive for as long as possible. And if I'm going into work and I'm just pushing stuff through machines each day working for someone else then I'm not necessarily going to get that enjoyment from it whereas if I went into teaching where I'm teaching things face to face then cool I'm getting hands-on I'm having to demonstrate I'm having to show people how it's done but it's not necessarily letting me control the project fully because I'm having to make it open to people who actually need to be able to achieve that so the again the YouTube thing where I was working for myself and teaching it hit that middle ground where it was like I can teach people whatever, as long as it makes it achievable, but I can also work on my own projects in the meantime and just have fun with them and document that journey, not necessarily teach it, just show people this went well, this really didn't. And people enjoy watching that. It just becomes this kind of soap opera style thing where it's like, oh, is it going to work? Is it not? And people get really invested in that. And that's essentially what I noticed other people were doing. And then, yeah, what I tried to achieve at the end. Fantastic. Fantastic. So
0: let's just try and draw out a couple of points from this first segment about one of the things we repeat at pop-up is there has never been a better time to make money doing something you love. And I truly believe that. And I think you've taken advantage of some of this because there is a niche or a niche market, depending on whether you're American or English, uh, we would say niche marketing. I think we would. I can't even remember what country I'm from now, Matt.
1: I watch too many American videos because I would
0: say niche in that case. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> it is niche. There is no T in that. Um, so there's a niche market, and you've been able to find these people who are passionate about woodworking online and build a business around it. And it's never been more possible to make money doing something you actually love. I guess it feels to me as though you were able to spot what it was you enjoyed at school and in your youth, and then draw those together into something. It doesn't sound like it was conscious, but that seems to be what you did. If you were going to advise people how to uncover their passion,
1: what they enjoy doing, what would your advice be? Yeah, I mean, in my experience, it is literally just look back to the things that you have always enjoyed throughout your life, in particular your childhood, because I think a lot of habits are instilled in you early there and just try and stitch those all together into something that you think can actually make you a living, I suppose. For me, one of the most annoying things was that I waited four years into this furniture making course to actually start filming. Because if I just thought about it and I put a day's thinking into it, I could have just started that at the very beginning and had this entire documentary of from the first day I walked in that workshop to where I am now. I think that would be incredible to watch. And I'm absolutely gutted that I missed out on it, which on a side note is why people should just, if they're thinking about starting videos, should start doing videos because you're going to be annoyed at yourself for not starting anyway. So you might as well make it less painful by starting now rather than in a week's time or a month's time or a year's time or whatever. So that's the thing to get around. I think just think about all the things that you have enjoyed and stitch them together into something. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Experiment. Exactly. That's the only real
0: way to get the learning as you go, is to start doing it, to learn from it, and then to get to version two, version three, version four. But the interesting bit with film and creating this stuff is that if you start filming now, two years later, when you've got the editing skills, you can go back to that footage
1: and put together in a different way. 100% 100% or not even touch it just enjoy what you were like two years ago I, I, have, <laughs> now, I have watched previous videos of mine and actually laughed at how stupid and stupid things I said and it's really in a non-vain way it's just really interesting to watch yourself years ago and just rewatch those struggles you went through or the challenges or whatever it's, it's really cool to be able to just remember that or see it in person rather than try and remember things. Uh I
0: definitely find it a little bit painful watching the first video Simon and I did for pop up eight years ago where we sat on my very disgusting cream leather couch and invited people to our Western Supermare workshop. I mean, it worked. 50 people showed up. But I tell you what, watching those videos back, I'm like, well, how did that happen? But we had to do that version to build pop up business school into what it was. There was no way past it. Uh, watching back is not always comfortable for me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I can relate to that as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you started filming, you've started creating videos, you're editing, you're going through the school process. You said you had about a six month period where you were just filming and doing bits and then you got a bit more serious. Where was that transition point?
1: What happened uh, when it became more serious and it became a thing? So because I was having to invest five days a week into the furniture making course, at the end of those five years in that sort of finished in June or something like that. In September, I was very fortunate to be sponsored a workshop by the school, which was something they do to every, well, every graduate year, but only one student gets it. And I really pushed to get it. And fortunately I did. And I essentially had free run of this empty unit uh, to start building my business for a year. And obviously most people would go in there and just start building furniture. I turned it into a set. Essentially, (laughs) I had my workbench. (laughs) I had my workbench plonked in the middle. I had two pairs of lights there and I made this lovely backdrop and I started by doing that. And by having five days a week, I was very fortunate to have that time to actually dedicate towards it. Unfortunately, I don't have now. I've only got about two or three days a week to do it, but we're still maintaining things. But I had five days a week back then to just really hit it hard and go for it. And that was pretty much where things started coming regular. I was posting a video once every two days to start with, which was very difficult to stay on top of. Very difficult uh, to the point where we sort of swapped it back to once a week, which was okay. It was achievable, but it was quite hard to get the things I wanted to get out. And then we just kind of experimented with things between that. And we still have no idea what's best we're currently doing it every three or four days at the moment and we actually want to experiment with once a day or sorry once every weekday at some point in the future i have no idea how we're going to do it but other people have done it and we just want to see what we can do so yeah that that was where it kind of became serious it was when i got given this workshop and i just made this massive list of videos i want to film and just smash through them all what a way to
0: start. And I think one of the things I always had when I started presenting, I'd been doing it for about a year or so. And I started to get compliments saying, wow, you're good at this. You're really good at this presenting. And people would say that and then say, you're so lucky to have been born with these skills. And I'd have a moment of like, what do you mean lucky? What do you mean lucky? And I'd speak to these people and say, how many presentations do you do a month, a year? How many do you do? And they say, well, this was at Toastmasters. They'd say I do sort of one presentation every couple of months. So they were doing six, seven minute presentations in a year. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so that's what, 42 minutes of presenting time in a year. And I was out there delivering corporate workshops and doing presentations nearly every day. And some weeks I would do eight hours of presenting. Some weeks I would do 40 hours of presenting. And then they wondered why I got better and why they didn't. And I think it sounds like you went through a similar thing as I'm just one year, five days a week. I am filming, making, producing, editing and doing it. That's going to be a learning curve and a that's
1: going to be a fire that forms you very early on. Yeah, things improved rapidly in those first few months, very very rapidly. Camera skills got better, presenting skills got better, and just the overall format of my videos got better as well. So your
0: advice if people wanted to launch a YouTube channel or content is you just need to
1: start doing it regularly. Yeah, do it regularly, as regularly as possible, whether it's once a day, (laughs) once every two days, once a week, just put a dedicated time aside in a specified period of time and just keep hacking away at it
0: how did you go about learning and improving or did you just do was there any conscious like i need to improve these videos how did you learn as you went through the process
1: so when i started filming i i did kind of just start plonking the video camera down and just went for it and i had no real video skills at that point so i didn't really know what was necessarily bad in the world of video or in the world of presenting it was both the first time i did it so I didn't really know what was going wrong. I just kind of went for it and just sort of started picking holes in things that I was doing that I wasn't too happy with. Maybe I'm saying, um, too many times. Maybe I didn't present that too well. Oh, this camera angle could change and just worked out how I could make things better for the audience first. And that's literally how I've just been progressing things. So how do you know that it's better for the audience? Feedback in the comments. That's all I do it from.
0: So you go to the feedback of the comments, you see what they've said and you use that to enhance the next video.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I bought new equipment as a result, better audio equipment, better lenses. It's all as a result of the audience feedback. And also, I will look at other people's videos and see what things are slipping them up in the comments section as well. So, you know, a a really common one was, uh, especially in woodworking, because it's so detailed, People were often saying in the comments, I can't really see what's going on. The camera's too far back. I want a really big close up. So as a result, I bought a macro lens, which was able to see things like in minute detail. You could actually see the specific fibers of the wood and people loved it. Did Absolutely they? loved it. And it was just from nicking it from someone else's comment section.
0: I love that. There's a great idea for you. Go and see the feedback that other people are getting and then do what they are not. I think that's a fantastic way of building ideas and building a channel. That's genius, Matt. Absolutely genius. So authentic. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it works. Who cares? (laughs) So how long did it take to go from, I've started filming to this actually like, becoming a thing where you've got money coming in you've got listeners viewers how long did that take and what was
1: it like so i started in the fourth year of the furniture making school and i made my first bit of income about a year and a half after that and that's just the way that youtube works in that it doesn't make it necessarily easy to make money instantly just because there's a few gateways you've got to get through and you've got to build an audience and things like that so it took me a little while but I definitely could have monetized it early now I look back on things the first thing that I generated income from was in the final year of the furniture making course I made this massive workbench and people got really invested in the series absolutely loved it and at the end of it people were like can I buy plans for this and I was just kind of looking at them thinking you don't want plans for this it's just a woodworking bench like why why would you buy it it's simple to design, it's just a big block of, it's a giant chopping block, essentially. Why do you need this? And I kept getting comments about it to the point where I was like, oh, here we go. So I set up a website, put the plans on there, little PayPal buy button underneath, and I made about a thousand pounds selling plans that week. Just <laughs> That week? Account. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's the thing. Like, The best thing about this was these plans were already accessible. Like I... I used those plans to make the bench in the first place. So I just got the things that I used, scanned them, put them online, boom, done. And if I'd done that from the very start, then I could have made money throughout the projects that I was doing up until that point. Obviously, it wouldn't have been a lot because I was still generating viewers, but it was definitely a potential and so that was where I started getting the first little bit of money from. Obviously, things didn't sustain at £1,000 a week. It, it sort of dipped a little bit off there. But then around that point, that was where YouTube opened the gates for me to start earning AdSense and things. And that's where the growth started from that point.
0: Fantastic. So you actually filmed, and I think this is one of the things we talk about a pop-up is when you are choosing a business, one of the questions I ask is how quickly do you need to make money? because a podcast, a YouTube channel tends to be a longer play because you have to build up the audience and work for a serious amount of time before that comes in. Whereas there's other businesses that you can get out there and sell things quicker and make money faster. I think the fastest I've ever seen it done is six to eight months with a podcast, but to build
1: up an audience does take time and energy. Absolutely. But it's more it's definitely more for the long term. Because so the things with videos and podcasts and things is that they are there forever. And so I've got videos that I filmed three years ago that are making me money now. And that's the thing about it. Yes, it's not money up front, but over time, it's just sort of this trickle of income that becomes more predictable. It can be volatile, but it's not as volatile as what other businesses might be. One of my favorite quotes is actually uh, from Mr. Money Mustache
0: and he refers to his blog posts as his workers. And he's created this thing. He's put it out in the fields and now it's working for him and bringing back traffic. And it's building up those things that you've created over the years and then
1: they continue to work for you. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like Those videos that I filmed three years ago, as I said earlier, they were shocking, but they still work. They still still work. They're still getting views. Yeah, still getting views. People are still buying plans from them. So I've always wanted to go back and maybe refilm them and improve things. But do I need to? Probably not.
0: I feel like you could add on a little bit at the end saying, is what I would do now if I was doing it differently. Uh, You could have a lot of fun with that. But you're right, you've put them out there and they're working. So you built this incredible business. Do you have any advice for anyone in the audience who actually wants to get into content creation? So whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, what would be your advice to the next generation of content creators?
1: Don't try and be anyone you're not is my big goal over everything. Once I came out of the school and I got my own workshop, I went in all guns blazing, trying to be this... Big extroverted person that was amazing on camera and it absolutely knackered me out. Absolutely knackered me. And because I overcompensated quite a lot, people in the audience sort of saw me as that as well, to the point where I have sort of receded that a little bit and I am just so much more comfortable on camera because I am myself now. And so that's the thing. Don't overcomplicate it, don't try and be anyone you're not. There's a reason you probably have friends at the moment. It's because they like you for who you are. (laughs) We hope so. (laughs) Yeah, we hope so. So you don't need to try and be anyone you're not. Just be yourself and you will naturally find friends, i.e. subscribers, online. I love that. That's great advice. So step one, be
0: yourself. Step two, get started and create something. And step three, continuously put it out there and refine it as you get along. Yep, that's it. Simple. So what's moved the needle the most in your subscribers? What's increased the number of subscribers the most for you? What do you think if there was one, two or three things that have moved the needle the most, what would
1: they be? It's not necessarily been one specific thing, but it's been one continuous thing over the course of this entire thing. And that has been just giving away as much as possible because You know, I teach woodworking online and I put those videos out there for free. I don't charge anything for them. YouTube's free for everyone. And I just put all of my knowledge out there and just vomit it all over all online. (laughs) 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 So uh, I think a lot of people are scared about doing that. They kind of hold their cards close to their chest and they're like, I don't want to share anything with anyone because in case anyone steals my tips or whatever. But what I've found in doing so by sharing as much online is people want to repay you naturally and as a result well i've got more subscribers but then also from the evening classes that i taught a large majority of those people were people who watched my videos and they actually wanted to learn from me in person and i i had everything online everything that we were teaching in those classes was online they didn't need to come to those classes but they just wanted to Because they wanted to repay me somehow or I don't know, but that's the thing. I think you build up some sort of leverage in your favor to the fact where if you uh, if you want to sell things or you want to provide a service, people will just want to snag it up as quick as possible. And so that's what I've been doing continuously It's just give, give, give and then ask for a little bit back, go back to give in and that's it. Well, fantastic advice. And I think you're
0: absolutely right. This is incredible. If you give away your best content, your best ideas, people are astounded that you are doing that. I think there is a real hesitation amongst entrepreneurs to do that. But that's how you gain progress and traction in your industry is by giving incredible value to other people. And My wife and I, along with JL Collins, who wrote the book Simple Path to Wealth, we run an event called Chautauqua each year. And we're very clear on the website that you do not need to come to this. Jim's book is however many pounds, however many dollars, it's not very expensive. And actually you don't even need to do that. All of the information is free on his blog. You do not need to come to the event. You do not need to write the book. Just read the blog and you've got it all. And yet people still turn up in droves. And I think it genuinely is because over the years, JL Collins has given away so much free content about investing, becoming an investor, getting to financial independence that people want to come to his events just to meet him, to meet the community and be around the people. And it sounds like you're you're having a similar thing happen for you at the moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. In December earlier this year or uh, late last year, should I say I made a batch of marking knives and I had this marking knife for years and it's always been in my videos and people have always been asking about it. And I decided to make this batch of about 90 of them. And I put them online and they were pretty much all snagged up in the space of three hours. And and there's the thing in the description of that and all, all throughout my videos. I say, you do not need this knife because all this knife is, is it's a fancy handle that you put this replaceable blade in that costs a couple of P from Amazon and that's it. And I just make the handle side of it. And I charge quite a lot because it's all handmade and everything, but people wanted to buy it, even though they could have got the same results from this two or three pound knife from Amazon, just because I think it was just a way to repay the things that I'd done for them. And they just wanted uh, something that I had made in their hands. I love that. I love that. So the key focus here is give
0: as much value to your audience, to your customers as possible. And it brings me back to one of the Zig Ziglar quotes that I love the most, which is, if you help enough other people get what they want, you can get anything you want in life. And I think that really is one of the keys to entrepreneurship in business is helping other people get what they want.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems so counterintuitive, but if you think about it, everyone is giving away something for free somewhere. There's other woodworkers giving away free tuition online. And if I'm trying to sort of hold everything I know close to my chest and not sharing it, then the viewers are just going to go somewhere else and get it instead. And I'm just going to miss out on everything. But by giving things away in your own way, that is where people will become invested in you. I love that. So what's next
0: for your channel, Matt? Where are you going with this? What's next? What's the future hold?
1: So the future at the moment is uh, the whole uh, COVID-19 thing has kind of made me have this bit of a realisation in that I think six months prior to this thing unfolding, I would have believed that it's far more plausible for the internet to die for a few months than the whole world to go into shutdown. Like if you think about it, the internet going offline for a bit, Yeah, there's potential for that whole world going into lockdown. Not a chance. That will never happen. Yeah. And then here we are. So I'm actually seeing this as something where, wow, I'm actually incredibly lucky here. The odds were against me, definitely. And, you know, here we are. So what I'm sort of seeing in this opportunity is although things are going well at the moment because people are binge watching YouTube, it's great. Actually, I need to start diversifying my business a little bit into more physical products uh, just to make sure I've got this even distribution of things online. If that goes, then I've got this and just not having all my eggs in one basket. So I want to go a little bit more into the tool manufacturer side of things and start making more knives and other things like that. And also go more into teaching as well, maybe providing a one-to-one service where I sort of travel to people and give them help face-to-face. I don't really know yet, but the goal is mainly just to diversify things.
0: Yes. And I think that's a fantastic goal. The pop-up business school, our business has just been hit by that as well. We were an events company and nowhere in our world did we envisage that every event on every continent that we run them in would be cancelled overnight. Nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and yet here we are. So I think diversifying in those different ways is a great approach I think it's also worth highlighting that actually in every problem or challenge, there are opportunities and there are people that win. So yes, we're all on lockdown, but that means more people are watching YouTube. So I'm assuming you've seen some spikes in numbers and some more views and some different bits there.
1: That's right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So in every problem, there are areas that are opportunities. And I think finding those is what the key is. Matt, I love what you've done. I love the channel you've built. Just before I ask you where people can find more about you, do you have a closing message for this audience of entrepreneurs who want
1: to build businesses? Yep. Don't overthink it. Just start with things. You're not going to get it right to start with. Just go for it. If it doesn't work, try something else. I couldn't have said that better myself. That's awesome, uh, Matt. Where do people find
0: your YouTube channel? Uh, where do they find about you? And I know you've been doing a collaboration with Jack and Henry at Pop Up. Tell tell us a bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, you can find me on YouTube by just typing in my name, Matt Estley. That's E-S-T-L-E-A. Bit of a weird one to say, but that's where you can find me. And I'm on most social media platforms as well. Uh, I've been making a video creation guide and affiliate guide for the pop-up survival guide. So if you want to see that, just go to their website, go to the survival guide, and you'll have full guidance on how to set up camera equipment, what equipment you actually need, how to plan videos, how to feel comfortable on camera. And also there's a little bit about affiliate marketing at the end where you can learn how it works, how to monetize things. And my learnings from that process, having had it all collapse overnight in front of me. So everything's all on there. Go and have a look if you're interested. Excellent.
0: Thank you so much for doing that for us. And that's actually the practical advice. A lot of what Matt and I have been talking about today is the mindset and how do you get going and what you should do, which is uber critical for you building businesses. And then the practical advice, we've got step by step guides that Matt has created that are on the pop up website, and we'll put links to those below. Matt. Thank you so much. You've been a pleasure to have on the show and good luck in the future with the woodworking show. Uh, to the listeners, go subscribe to his channel, watch some of his videos and get inspired by what Matt is doing. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Ravmir. That was Matt Esley. Make sure you go and check out his YouTube channel and his woodworking videos. They are incredibly well produced. He has some fantastic visuals and he's a lot of fun. There was a couple of things I really wanted to highlight from this and to tell you about. And actually, one of the inspirations of Pop-Up Business School was a video done by Gary Vaynerchuk. And the video was back in 2012. He did a talk at the ultimate business mastery system from Tony Robbins, talking about building businesses around your passion. And he stated back in 2012 that there was a great time now to become a content creator. And I actually think the opportunity's gone even bigger. So first up, Gary Vaynerchuk, thank you your book, Crush It and Crushing It, The Thank You Economy, Jab, 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 Right Hook, all those books and your videos have inspired the next generation of entrepreneurs. It's incredible. And we've been traveling around England, spreading your message and building on it as well, because I truly believe there's never been a better time to build a business doing something you love. And I think that message that you can build a business, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, an events business. It doesn't really matter, but there is a way to find an audience doing something you love and sell them something. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, the article by Kevin Kelly, which is 1000 true fans, just Google Kevin Kelly, 1000 true fans and read that article. Is an incredible article and it talks about the power of the internet to uncover your niche market or your niche market, depending on where you live. Because you can find people who are passionate about your subject, connect, talk to them and sell them something. And there's never been a better opportunity. What you need to do is actually take action. So many people talk about this, but so few people do it. If you want to be a person that makes money doing what you love, then you need to put yourself out there. And there is magic in putting yourself out there. And Matt's example was incredible, how he just took his new camera into woodworking school and started filming. And he just started producing videos. Then he pitched the college on getting that free space for a year and they supported him for a year by giving him a free workshop to work in. And he started five days a week creating content and putting it out there. And I cannot stress enough, there is magic in putting yourself out into the world. I don't care what it is you do, what you're passionate about, start creating, putting content out there and adding value to the world. I think that process of creation, putting it out there and promotion and finding your niche is incredibly powerful. Now there is a part here that we really need to focus on, and I'm sure this will come up in the website episode again. There's a saying out there called "If you build it, they will come." Thanks to Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams, and obviously Wayne's World repeated it ad infinitum as well. If you build it, they will come, and actually that's just not true. If you build it, no one will come until you promote it. And one of the most important things you can do after you've built the video is start promoting it, sharing it and putting it out into the world. And that's one of the most important steps. So don't just build something and then sit back and go, I've built it. I hope they will arrive. There is no hope. You've got to promote it. You've got to actively go out there, find your community, engage with them, talk to them, search for the right keywords on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and engage people and bring them to your content. Promotion is equally as big a part of this. So that was Matt Eastley's startup story. And that was episode six. The next episode is episode seven, and it's talking about mini experiments. That is where Simon, my business partner, and I talk about how do you practically start this stuff? So you've been inspired by Matt and by Sean and by the ways to build a business with no money. Let's actually take this and turn it into a mini experiment where we can launch something, get feedback, and see if it works. So you've got to check out episode seven on mini experiments. If you're enjoying what we're doing, if you're liking it, then please share this with someone who is stuck in a job they don't like to inspire them that there is a way to make money doing something they love. Or leave us a review, share a comment. Please support us to build this podcast. The aim is to help empower people to make money doing what they love. And the more people we can reach, the more people we can help. Thanks for listening. Good luck. And remember, Take action. Make stuff happen. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with The Rebellion, visit choosefi.com
1: slash rebel. Thanks for joining The Rebellion.